is a voluntary organization, the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We haven't had a cabinet minister for quite a while. I usually used to be able to talk Clint Dunford to coming because cabinet ministers sometimes got a quite a roasting here for a number of years and uh, uh, we have trouble getting some of them to come but I could always talk Clint or someone to come down and and as long as I chaired it he didn't mind. Tonight I guess we're facing the uh, Obama uh, debates for the presidency so that's uh, hindered us. We usually get about 85 or 90 people here and uh, so that's a disappointment. But anyway, to get on with the evening, I'm pleased to uh, have with us tonight Dave Hancock, who's the Minister of Human Services and the government house leader. Uh, I think it's a feather in his cap as a cabinet minister that uh, three successive uh, premiers have had him as a cabinet minister, and now he's not only a cabinet minister, but he's also house leader. And... Uh, his approach to government has led those three premiers to trust him with serious ministerial roles. Uh, unfortunately, he's from that northern part, Edmonton, which we often don't recognize, but uh, he has his uh, degree in law and uh, from the University of Alberta. He's married, he has three children, and uh, been an extreme volunteer in many organizations, including Kiwanis and Heels on Wheels and Success by Sex, by Six uh, Sex. Oh, well, that'll do it. They should print bigger. Anyway, I'm pleased to invite you uh, to the podium. We'll have uh, uh, a discussion from him. He says it'll be about 25 or 30 minutes, and then we'll be open to uh, questions. So, uh, Dave, come and take the podium, and it's yours. Well, thank you uh, very much. Uh, I, I, uh, I always appreciated Clint. Uh, he, he did uh, work hard to try and get to people to come to speak to this organization. And of course, the last time I was invited, and the last time I was here, when it was when I was running for the leadership in 2006, and uh, that was a good crowd then. So uh, I've gone downhill in stature, obviously, since then. But I, I, I do thank you for uh, for uh, inviting, inviting me and allowing me to, to come. I've been uh, spending some time touring the province uh, this month talking about something that I think is ex incredibly important uh, to our province. Um, and I should, I should say uh, off the start that uh, though you commented about me coming from Edmonton, I grew up actually northern Alberta uh, and northern BC, and so I was as far north from Edmonton as you are south, Edmonton being in the center of the province, not the north. Uh, but um, what, what we've been talking about uh, for the last uh, few months is uh, a social policy framework for Alberta. Uh, and uh, to put it into context, um, the Premier called me in October and asked me to move from uh, education to a new portfolio called Human Services. She talked about bringing together uh, social agency, bringing together the elements of government which dealt with, uh, with providing services to individuals, uh, helping us to break down some of the silos that we've struggled with. Uh, as long as I've been in government, we've talked about breaking down silos, and uh, as long as I've been in government, we haven't been overly successful in doing that. We have on some fronts, but not on all fronts. Uh, and what she was talking about is being much more effective, uh, 
being, bringing an outcomes approach and saying, are we achieving success? And that balances into what we're doing with our results-based budgeting as well. Looking and saying, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Is it achieving the results that we want to achieve? And if not, should we still be doing that or should we be uh, investing scarce public resources in other directions to, to achieve those outcomes? And as part of that, uh, she understood uh, in asking me to do this that I'm the policy wonk in government. I'm the guy who constantly go, going into a new portfolio says, what is our overarching policy framework? What's our raison d'etre? What is it we're trying to do? Uh, and are we doing it? Are we, are we achieving that? And she asked me to, to lead the process, not to, not to write a social policy framework for government, but to lead the process within government of discussing a social policy framework for Alberta. And the distinction I'm making is that when we're talking social policy framework, it can't be a government policy. It has to be owned by, it has to be developed by and owned by the community. Uh, as one of my colleagues said when I, uh, uh, when I talked first about, about the process we were going to engage in, um, he said to me, yeah, well, you're, you're our policy guru guy. Why don't you just sit down and write it? Um, and I could, sure. Uh, any of us could do that. We could sit down and say what's what's important to our community. But then it would be mine. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't have any value to our community because our community wouldn't own it. So what am I talking about when I talk about social policy framework? Really, it's about what kind of community do we want to have? What kind of place do we want to live in? If we're going uh, to Toronto or, or down to the states, what is what is it we're going to be proud to describe to others about where we come from? To put it another way, over the next 10 years, we're going to need 114,000 additional skilled people to take up the jobs that are going to be available in this province, over and above uh, the work that we need to do within the province to, to help those who are underemployed uh, uh, get employment. If we're going to attract 114,000 more people to the province, why are they going to come? What is it that makes this place attractive to them? as a place that they want to live and to work and to raise their families. Or to put it in a more personal context, how, how am I going to make it possible for my children, and, and more particularly my grandchildren, to stay, live, and work in Alberta in an increasingly global world? And more importantly, how am I going to make it so that they want to stay and work in Alberta, uh, stay and be in Alberta as they work out into a global world? That's what we're talking about when we talk about social policy. What kind of a place do we want to be? And it's inextricably intertwined with economic policy for those very reasons. If we want to have and to keep and to retain the people that we need to fuel our economy, it has to be a good place to be. I had the privilege when I was first elected to be in uh, intergovernmental and Aboriginal affairs. And I went with uh, Economic Development Edmonton to a, a conference in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, which was a gathering of the senior vice presidents of companies whose job it was to find the next place for their company to locate. And we went down to sell uh, the fact that uh, this was a great place to locate because we had low taxes, we had a young population, we had a relatively good education, we were prepared to take up the technology in new ways. And all of those were important factors. But one of the uh, vice presidents said to me uh, at a reception we hosted, what, where I want to go, is where my chief executive officer's spouse wants to live. What was he telling me? He was telling me that if you want a productive workforce, you have to have people who are not always focused on the issues at home. 
they have to have a good home life. What he's saying is that the, the chief executive officer isn't going to come if the spouse doesn't want to live here. And we find that when we recruit people to our universities and to our senior executive offices and that sort of thing. We go and, and sell them, not on, uh, uh, on, the, on the paycheck or the tax breaks. When Calgary went to get uh, uh, Imperial Oil to move to Calgary, as with their head office, they sent the head of the Calgary Philharmonic to talk to them about what the quality of life was in Calgary. That's the type of thing that we need to do to create the kind of community. What he's saying is that the things that are important to us are education for our children. A good health care system for our children and our parents when, when we need it. A safe community. If your employees are worried about whether the children are safe going to school and home, they're not focused on their work and, their product, and they're not as productive as they could be. If one of your employees or if you have just moved to, to uh, Lethbridge and you have a child that's diagnosed as having autism, and if you can't find the support services that you need to help that child deal with the issues that, that autism brings, are you going to stay here? Are you going to move someplace where you can get those services? Are you going to take the chance that you might not be able to give your child the life that you want them to have? Probably not. Most people will move to where the services are. So when we're looking at what it means to be a whole community and a place, a rich place to live, and when I say a rich place to live, I'm not talking paycheck. I'm talking about the things that are really important to us. Sure, paycheck matters and tax breaks matter, but that's not the driver. The driver is to have a safe community, a good health care system, a good education system, clean air and clean water, the things that make life interesting and worth living, whether it's... Uh, uh, climbing down and walking through the coolies, or whether it's going to a hockey game, or whether it's uh, uh, enjoying the art gallery, or whatever it is that makes your life rich. And part and parcel of that is being able to deal with the challenges that come along with our life. And all of us have challenges. All of us have barriers to success. At some point in our life, all of us have needed some help from our community. Can, for some of us, it's periodic or sporadic. For other people, uh, it's, uh, it's chronic. But all of us have had challenges. I mean, I didn't get my university degree because I did it. Yes, I was the one that went, but you paid for it. If we didn't have the, the post-secondaries, if we didn't have that kind of an education system, we wouldn't have the people who are our doctors and our, uh, and our nurses and the other people who, who help build our community. So it is important. It's important that every one of our children has the opportunity to maximize their potential, to, to, to find what they're good at, and to be able to contribute in the opportunity that is Alberta. That's what each of us want for our children. Fundamentally, that's what waves of immigration to this country and this province have wanted. They've wanted a better life for their children. And that better life for their children means that regardless of what life has thrown them, there needs to be an opportunity to move past those barriers to success and to find a way to maximize that child's ability. That's fundamentally what the Human Services Department and government does. It brings together all of those pieces of government which are there to protect a child when a child's in danger, in an abusive situation, um, 
to be able to support families when they need it so that their children, they can support their children and, and get those opportunities for their children. Not to do it for them, but to be there. To help bring together the knowledge that we know from the research that we have that talks about what the best uh, ways to maximize a child's opportunities are. Sharing parenting skills. Creating safe workplaces and insisting on safe workplaces so that people can go home to their families safe at the end of the work day. Making sure that there's a, a appropriate labor standards and workplace safety codes and workplace standards. All of that wraps into the human services portfolio. But I'm here to tell you that government, the provincial government through the human services portfolio isn't going to be able to create the kind of community that you want to live in and that will create the opportunity for your children and grandchildren to be successful. That has to come from community. We can do some things, and we can support community agencies in doing other things, but communities have to decide what's important to them. So we're doing a social policy framework discussion. We've been, uh, over the last uh, three months, uh, primarily on a, through, a, through a, a website which is very interactive and engaging. We've had uh, a significant number of Albertans uh, well over 10,000 Albertans have engaged on the website. Another 5,000 have engaged through face-to-face -face conversations across the province, talking about what we as a society value. What is it that drives us? What is it that's important to us? And from that, we're moving now into the second stage of the social policy framework discussion, and that's to talk about our roles and responsibilities and what our strategic directions need to be to achieve that. And I'm here to ask you to participate, to be part of that discussion. To, to share your contact lists, to share the information with others, and to encourage people to be involved in that discussion because you've got experience. You've got uh, a significant amount of experience talking about public policy, which is not everybody's uh, experience. Uh, you can add value to that discussion by, by enriching it with your viewpoint and by helping us download the discussion guide if you wish, have what we call a culture chat, uh, invite your neighbors in and talk about what's important. Uh, write a blog. Uh, if you have documents that you think are important for people to see as part of the discussion, upload it into the library. Um, do the survey online. Engage at whatever level you feel is appropriate for you. But be part of the discussion because there's probably not been a more important discussion with respect to our future than how we invest in our people. Not do everything for everybody by any stretch of the imagination. How we empower people to take responsibility for themselves. How do we assist people in that periodic or episodic time when they need some help. How we help those who have chronic conditions. And quite frankly, I don't care whether you come to that discussion from a perspective of human compassion. We're all we're human beings and we ought to care for our neighbors. Or whether you come to that discussion from enlightened self-interest. We can't afford the economic cost of social failure. The discussion is important to you. The discussion is important to you because if you want a safe community, look at what we do. If you're a business person and you have a, an aggressive panhandler in front of your store, what would a typical reaction be? Pick up the phone, call the police, say, you've got to move this guy along. And the police might come out and arrest the panhandler take them to the uh, police station themselves. They might book them for something. If they can find a reason to book them. 
Rod Connect, the chief of police in the city of Edmonton, said a couple of weeks ago that they had one individual, not an uncommon situation, they arrested 155 times last year. Two, uh, that's at least two hours of police time, every single time. So that's, uh, even by my math, uh, 210 hours of police time at a minimum. Well-trained, well-paid individuals. Uh, and what are they doing? They're taking somebody off the street. They're taking them into the justice system. Let me tell you about the justice system. I was Solicitor General for a while. Seventy percent of the people in our provincial jails have a drug, alcohol, or mental health problem. Seventy percent. The average length of stay is 48 days. Now, I can tell you as Minister of Justice, Attorney General, and Solicitor General, I often had people saying, we need our communities to be safe places. You've got to arrest the bad guys. And I doubt if any of you do, but if any of you listen to Dave Rutherford, You'll hear him say that over and over again. We've got to put the bad guys in jail. Well, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who believes that people should, get, should, should not be accountable for what they do. But I can tell you, if 70% of the people in our provincial jails have a drug, alcohol, or mental health problem, and if the average length of stay is 48 days, that's a huge investment, and we're not creating a safe community. If the outcome we want is a safe community, we'd better start doing something about the drug, alcohol, and mental health issue. Because those people are revolving through that system on a regular basis. Right down here when I was Minister of Justice, I could tell you that there was one individual who was arrested 70 times for drunken disorderly and uh, had overnight stays in the cells, sometimes a couple of days. But it didn't do anything for the safety of your community. It didn't do anything for your comfort level. So again, whether you, have a, whether you approach the problem from an element of human compassion and saying we need to care about our fellow man, or whether you just don't want to step over them, it's an issue that matters. And if you want to not pay taxes that don't make a difference, then we ought not to waste so much money processing people instead of dealing with the root causes of their problem. And that's what social policy is about, is understanding what we can do that's effective. I'm not suggesting for a moment, although I did at one point in time um, facetiously suggest we close our provincial jails. Take the incorrigibles, farm them out to the feds, let pay them on a daily rate, and take all the rest of them and give them to the Salvation Army because they do a much better job with drug and alcohol problems than the jails do. That's facetious, obviously. But we can do a better job. We know, for example, that it costs $130,000 to keep a person homeless in this province. It costs us about $30,000 to have a Housing First program that takes those homeless people off the street, finds them a, a housing first, gives them a stable place to live, and then wrap around some services to help them deal with the issues that's got them there in the first place. And we know, because we've had some good success in this, they're doing the homeless count tonight in Lethbridge, by the way. Keep our fingers crossed that what I'm saying next is going to be true still. We know that we've had a lot of success. And we know from the statistics that, yes, 20% of the people who are homeless will need chronic help. Their conditions, their comorbidities are such that they will need support for most of their life, if not all of their life. 80% can actually overcome some of their issues and move back into the community. And I had the privilege a week or so ago uh, being uh, with the Mustard Seed in Edmonton as they opened a, an apartment building that they had purchased and renovated and uh, 
I sat down with a fellow who had been on the streets for 15 years, um, drinking excessively. Um, and he was, he was excited. He'd opened his apartment for people to, to come in and talk to him. He, uh, he was excited. First thing he said is, boy, you know what's really different is uh, you're sitting here listening to me. Nobody ever listened to me before. Um, but what he also said is I didn't know what the problems I had until I actually stopped drinking. And what he was most appreciative of is he had a place to call home. He had a stable place. And then the people who were there were helping with his other problems. And he had a life back. And he was looking forward to contributing in that life. Yesterday I was in Calgary. Uh, Alex, um, it's an organization in, in Calgary that uh, does outreach. Uh, somebody will give me the high sign when I've gone on too long, right? <laughs> um, Alex has a community uh, health clinic with outreach. They run a, a bus. They have a, a location, but they also have a bus that goes out into the community. Um, they have a youth bus that goes out into the community. They now have a dental bus that goes out into the community. But the young lady who was speaking at their annual meeting celebrating their 40th anniversary yesterday, 20 years old, at the age of 11, she and her mom moved to Calgary. She didn't know who her dad was. All she knew about her dad was that he was in jail and had been in and out of jail. They didn't have anything more to do with him, and she never really knew him. At age 11, her mother abandoned her because she was a bad kid, and her mother couldn't take it anymore. That's what she told her. And, and throughout her life, she recalls her mom telling her how bad she was. And she became bad, if she wasn't already. And she was on the streets. She was surf couch surfing. She was homeless. She was tattooed. She wasn't somebody you'd want your son or daughter to know, according to her. And nobody cared, according to her. But at age 16, she ran into a, another person like her on the street. And that person said, I know where we can get a hot meal. And they went to Alex. And uh, somebody there actually cared, listened to her, talked to her, helped her with some health issues, helped her find a place to live. She's 20 now. She's got a two-year-old daughter, uh, born of a relationship that's no longer... Uh, there, but uh, a beautiful young daughter who was running around as she was talking. She was she was dressed beautifully. You wouldn't have been able to tell that she'd been on the street for that long. She'd finished high school. She's now working in an auto mechanic shop, and she's going to apprentice uh, starting this fall as an auto mechanic. She's got the two things she's always wanted in life, a child and the opportunity to work with cars. She's working two jobs. It's not easy. But she sees herself as a success. She sees herself as having value. And she believes that other people actually think she has value. There's someone who we would have been supporting all of her life. And we would have been supporting her daughter all of her life. And if you read the statistics, you suggest she probably would have had one or two more daughters that we would be supporting all of their lives. Social policy does matter to us. And it doesn't matter whether you come at it because you actually care about the individuals in our community and the people you live next to, although that would be nice. You can also come at it because you can't afford the economic cost of social failure. We cannot afford to have 80% jobless rates on First Nations reserves in northern Alberta. We can't afford an education system that doesn't work for them. 
because we're, we have the education system and we're paying for it. But it's not working for them. So we need a social policy which understands what the results are that we're trying to achieve and looks at how we can achieve them successfully. Not by spending more money on it necessarily, but by understanding how we have effective results and working together with community to understand what we need for our community. I had the privilege this morning in, in Lethbridge here to meet with the Youth Hub. This is a group of social agency coming together, the schools, the uh, Children Youth Services, the police. Uh, there was probably, what, 25 people in the room with us, each coming from a different aspect. And they're doing something exciting and something novel. They're working together. Instead of making it difficult for the young lady who was there as a youth representative in the group to come in the door and get help, they're making it easy. And they're making it one door. So instead of saying to somebody, well, I can help you with this, but please go across town to get that, they're saying, yeah, you tell your story once and we'll help you with that. If you're a victim of family violence, you know how important that is? To only tell your story once? To not be re-victimized every single time you, you need to, to get help by telling your story over and over again? Incredibly important. Social policy matters. And it matters not only to the quality of life of our community, but it matters to the economic strength of our community. Because when we talk about those fundamentals of safe community, that's what we have, an advantage that we have that many other places don't have. Some of you may have been to Mexico and seen the uh, walled communities that they have. My brother-in-law was in Africa, and it's even worse with the walled communities. People have to, to, to board themselves up to feel safe. We don't do that here. But we can do a better job of creating that kind of safe community and that kind of quality of life that means that our children and grandchildren can live here, work here, will want to live here and stay here so that we can continue to see our grandchildren and their children um, as we grow older and so that we will have the benefit of their education to support us as, as we grow older. So I encourage you to get involved. I think there's pamphlets that are... Uh, uh, postcards that have been handed out with uh, socialpolicy.alberta.ca. Uh, if you're not online, we can uh, we can certainly get you the information. If you are online, uh, fill out the new survey that's come up. Uh, download the discussion guide if you want to, to have a discussion among your group of friends. Uh, engage in the discussion about how we do this better. And help us work together to understand the roles and responsibilities of each of us as individuals, uh, our communities, our social agency our levels of government. Because I know one thing. Uh, I was Minister of Justice and I went to Drayton Valley. They had a drug problem with their uh, youth. And what they said to me as Minister of Justice and Sol Solicitor General is, what are you going to do about it? And my answer was pretty clear. I'm going to help you. You have to decide what you're going to do about it. I can't come in from Edmonton and tell you how you're going to keep your kids occupied and healthy and uh, leadership and recreational opportunities. You decide what you want to do, I can find some ways to help you. But a government can't come into a community and say, this is what's good for you. This is what will help. We have ideas. But the community has to do it. And that's what the social policy framework is all about. And I thank you very much for giving me a little bit of your time when the debate between Obama and Mitt Romney might have been a lot more interesting. <laughs> Thanks so very much.